It's very familiar. You were my first subscriber that I didn't know. Oh my God, that's so cute. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your career and design a life that you want to live. This episode is a special one. It is a podcast mixer episode, which is a live and interactive podcast recording as part of an event. This podcast mixer was produced and co-hosted with JC Adler, the host of the Recalibrate podcast. It was recorded with about 20 people in an apartment in Brooklyn, where you'll hear short stories from people about personal projects. JC and I both love personal projects and have been transformed by them, and we love talking to other people about them. So we wanted to create a podcast episode that talks about the benefits of personal projects, how personal projects have helped people find their people, friends, community along the way, and how they've been able to keep going. As always, this episode is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my Portfolio Career Subsect newsletter that I send out every two weeks at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com slash newsletter. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with JC. All right, JC. Um, would love to hear about <laughs> your personal project. This is a little meta making a, our podcast about creating a podcast as my personal project. So we'll start out with that. But yeah, I feel like these personal projects come from a need or a problem that you're having. And probably a lot of you can resonate with that. And for me, I started my podcast Recalibrate about a year ago because I felt like I was experiencing this sense of loneliness that I was having these thoughts and feelings and experiences that no one was really talking about. I felt like people just viewed them as these stigmatized situations and kind of brushed them under the rug. And I felt like there was not really space where people were having these conversations. So I started Recalibrate as a personal project to basically have these honest conversations where people could hopefully feel less alone and it gave me the greatest gift of helping me find my people and helping me feel more connected than I could literally ever imagine but to take you back a little bit I'll go back six months ago to one of my favorite stories of all time where yeah I was at this point in New York City where I just felt like I wasn't really resonating with what my environment was. I felt like I was kind of doing the same things every single weekend where my friends were going out to bars and clubs and going out to drink. And I just really had this hole in my heart for people who were passionate and caring about the same things that I cared about. And I felt like I had been in New York City for a few years at that point, and I was like, all right, maybe New York City is not the place for me. Like, I should probably try something else. So that week in May, I listed my apartment for a sublet, and I was like, all right, I'll go try a new city. And the universe was like, absolutely not. Sit your ass down. You're staying in New York. Um, because that week, my friend Allie like, randomly reached out to me. And she had said, hey, this is really random, but I know you have that podcast thing. And I just got invited to this podcast mixer at this guy, David Nabinsky's apartment. Not sure if you guys have heard of David Nabinsky. Um, Cool guy. I would recommend. And she was like, do you want to come with me to this event? And I was like, sure. I have nothing to do next Wednesday. I'll, I'll go with you. So fast forward next week, I go to this event and... I get introduced to what we affectionately call the David Nominsky universe, which you all are now a part of. And um, 
I felt fucking amazing. I was like, oh my God, I did not know that people were doing this in New York City on a weeknight. I had incredible conversation with people. I met the most amazing human beings. They were curious and interested and passionate. And I left that event literally buzzing. Like I walked home skipping through the streets and I the first thing I did was remove my apartment off of its sublet listing on Facebook. And from there, that was just like the first event that unlocked a whole new world of events that I had started going to. There was so much more from the people that I met. Shout out to uh, yours truly that hosts an amazing event called Reading Rhythms, which has quickly become one of my favorite ways to spend time. Um, You'll hear a little bit about it later. But yeah, from there, that really just changed everything for me. And I feel like it's funny looking back, but for me, starting this thing, sitting in my room alone every single week for over a year, just talking into a microphone by myself, it turned into literally the greatest gift of helping me find my people. So thank you, Mr. David Dubinsky, for creating this amazing space. Truly don't think I would be in New York City if it wasn't for you. So shout out Allie. Shout out Allie. Shout out David. Shout out yourself (laughs) Um, for saying yes to the invites. You know, um, there's plenty of people that said no to tonight you know <laughs> um so shout out to everybody that's here um but you know like it's not just like one event like you talked a lot about this like how this was a catalyst to a lot more like what do you think that that like how what did you do or how did you like take the next steps after that mm, yeah that's a good question i think what actually happens first is that you get comfortable being yourself and i think the podcast really brought out like this best version of me where by helping like it was healing for me to share what i was experiencing and have that be received by other people and then once i felt like i was just free to show up as myself then the people that i started connecting with were seeing like who I really was instead of this other portrayed version that I had tried to be in the past. And from there, I feel like that's when you really start to connect with your people and the people that you're supposed to be with. And I started going to events alone, which was Mm -hmm. a big key. I think if you go to events with a friend, you become like a stage five clinger to whoever you're with and you are like not really open to meeting new people. Mm -hmm. So even though I have lots of lovely friends, I started going to things by myself. And from there, I just met a ton of cool people and it created this like beautiful snowball effect. Wow. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Charlotte, do you want to share next? Good segue to one of my favorite hostess i just have to shout out the david nabinsky universe pants (laughs) yeah that's the best part about (laughs) the the david nabinsky universe (laughs) this is the david nabinsky universe (laughs) so charlotte tell us about your personal projects okay oh my gosh um i'm so excited to be here and to be sitting with you and talking to two of the masters of personal projects i first started a newsletter called caught up in char's web uh last october (laughs) <laughs> this is my first pod- podcasting <laughs> formation <laughs> um okay so i moved to new york last i started subletting in the summer last summer and then properly moved in september and similar to jc was just throwing a lot of shit at the wall and seeing what stuck and i'd always wanted to start a personal project because i felt like it would have been my opportunity to reclaim my relationship with 
authority, like doing something just for me and not because a teacher or a boss or somebody else was asking me to do it. And so I've always loved reading and loved writing and was listening to a lot of podcasts and music and um, have kind of always just liked, like my favorite moment in life is making an analogy, like weaving things together that wouldn't maybe otherwise make sense in the same sentence. And so I thought that a cool outlet for that would be to start a newsletter. So I did, and it's called Caught Up in Char's Web. And I'd like written a lot of drafts and thought about it for a while. And then one of the things that actually first prompted me to start it was a conversation with John Lafriere, who's sitting right over there, <laughs> where I started meeting people in the city, kind of similar to what JC was saying, that had such conviction for what they were doing and for their own personal projects and were, yeah, just putting themselves out there um, and creating without needing to ask anyone for permission. And so that was like really inspiring for me to just jump and start my newsletter. And I think what I learned from it is it really made me more present in every single thing that I was doing. All of a sudden, like the podcast that I was listening to, the conversations that I was having, um, the books that I was were reading started to become part of something that I could then create. So I stopped being just a consumer and it made me a producer, which like changed the way that my brain was working and just kind of my outlook on life. And it has brought me to the most incredible people. It's made my conversations much richer because then I get to weave threads through all of the things that I'm learning, um, which is another shout out to another personal project <laughs> called Reading Rhythms, uh, which I think will be shared later. Um, but yeah, then John, Tom, Ben, and I have started a series of reading parties called Reading Rhythms, where we also weave threads through things. So it's helping me find like kind of cohesive narrative and the things that I really care about through my personal projects. I love all your personal projects. <laughs> and I actually read your first personal project, Charles Webb, after a David Nowitzki event where he shared your newsletter. And I read Charlotte's Web way before I ever knew you existed, which is funny because when we met, I was like, hmm, Charlotte, that sounds very familiar. You were my first subscriber that I didn't know. Oh my god, that's so cute. I was like, who the fuck is JC Adler? <laughs> yeah, who the fuck is JC Adler? <laughs> still ask myself um, that yeah, every day. Ask, yeah, true. Mm, so starting with Star's Web, like what is a thread that you're weaving right now or thinking mm -hmm. about? I've been thinking a lot about the concept of time and urgency lately. We've talked a, at length <laughs> about this. Um, but yeah, feeling like this sense of pressure to get things done in a certain way or a certain amount of time and trying to reclaim my relationship with work and knowing that especially in passion projects and things that I care deeply about, I want to be able to work on them for a really long time. So trying to make sure that my relationship with time is such that I don't burn out because I think the beauty and the curse of passion projects is that I want to work on them 24 seven <laughs> and that is not feasible for living a healthy, balanced life. So that's something I'm thinking a lot about and writing a lot about in my newsletter these days. You and me both, lady. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Danielle, I'd love to hear about your personal project. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I think my passion project started how a lot of passion projects start, which is with a massive trauma. Um, <laughs> I went through a horrible, horrible breakup. I was living in Boston, and I moved back to New York. I'd lived here in my early 20s, and life had changed. I got here, and I was almost 30 and I was starting over and my friends lives had all shifted and I was a ninth wheel on my first night back 
And I realized I was going to have to make some social changes and something was going to have to happen. So I started a WhatsApp group called Fun People in New York. And I went around and I put myself in different places and spaces and I put people I met into this group. It became a group after people gave me a lot of shit for the name. They said it wasn't cool. I thought it was I thought it was a fun name. People didn't like it. I changed it to Friday Tables and I started hosting dinners. And I wanted to bring together people around a dinner table to have conversation and to connect and to have the repetition of seeing the same faces and meeting people. And this has become a supper club that now has wait lists of 100 people for our dinners. And it's, they're really fun. We have an amazing group. They're my best friends. And it's continued to expand and grow. And now we have a scale problem. So I'm figuring that out. But it's a good problem to have. And it's a really fun group to be part of and lead in some way. Hmm. Um, hmm. A couple different directions I want to go here. But um, it seems like um, it's become a little bit more meaningful to you. Um, do you feel comfortable talking about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you when you start a community, you never know when you're going to need that community the most. And after the war broke out on October 7th, I leaned into this community and the community leaned into and to support each other in a way that I did not anticipate. So relationships had formed for an entire year where people created a safe space in the WhatsApp group, at these dinners, outside of dinners, people were going to backgammon club together and, and finding other clubs to go to in this unit. And people needed each other after that moment. People were alone and felt like they were processing trauma by themselves. And I actually started another group off of it, uh, a fundraising platform to help other people raise money for and become leaders of their own initiatives. Um, So that's called the Israel Relief Project. And we're transitioning it into the Tikkun Project, which is all about repair and, and, you know, really taking the next step to make sure that, you know, people live peaceful lives around the world. And I, it's amplifying other people's passions and initiatives so that I'm not the only leader in the room and that other people who want to do a boxing class to raise money or host a dinner to raise money have the tools to do that. And so all of that happened because this community came together in that moment and wanted to take action. And that was really powerful to see how other people became passionate about taking those initiatives because they felt comfortable with this group and with this community. Wow. Beautiful. I guess you never know what will happen, right? (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Literally. Um, Okay. Um, Emily, do you want to go next? Hello, Miss Emily. Hello. Welcome to your very first interview at a David Nabinsky event. Yay. So exciting. Do you want to tell us about your project? Our mutual event. It's our, this is a show, yeah. It's very fitting. Yes, I'm grateful to be at your <laughs> guys' event. It makes a lot, lot of sense for you both to be here, and I love the people that are here. Um, but, yeah, my, I was thinking about that question, and I feel like I 
if I'm really to peel back the layers, it all started about 12 years ago with my first personal project for about nine years of my youth, like my adolescence. I had an advice column called Dear Emily where people would write in and at 15, I would be giving my opinion. Who? <laughs> okay, what the heck? And um, people like read it and would print it out and talk about it at their dinner table. And moms would come up to me in my town and say, hey, we, we shared this at, at bedtime together and talked about it. And so I had teachers and parents and, and young adults writing into me like, should I buy a pair of Crocs? to like, I'm questioning my life. Mm -hmm. um, and that passion project led me to my line of work where I studied journalism, and that's my background. I would always say I'm a writer. And being in the world of publishing and media led me to find this beautiful space of community building. Um, and so I moved to New York about six years ago, ready to just like pursue what I loved, which at that time was um, journalism. And I found community. And in that, I moved to New York and I was like, holy crap, how can I be in a city full of so many people and still feel so isolated, so alone? How can I have this network of people that I know I can reach out to, but feel nervous to extend that arm? And so also when I was in my undergrad at university, I was going through a lot of turbulent life things um, and got caught up like don't trust me I'm a really good time but <laughs> I got definitely caught up in the life of partying and overextending myself in extracurriculars and leadership positions and I totally lost myself I got swept up in that and I got swept up in anxiety and depression I know her well and so I moved to New York and I was like how do I fix this? How do I fix this solution for these college students that don't have safe spaces to go to? And how do I create spaces that I want to show up in? So in 2018, I hosted my first journaling workshop in Washington Square Park. And um, now I have journaled with over 8,000 people, um, virtually and in person, and all with the purpose and the mission of one, it's, it's based off of three pillars. One, my passion for human connection and gathering. I think I was plopped on this earth to bring people together, um, and I really believe in community. And I think when we gather together, we heal together, we are better when we are together. And the second pillar is being an advocate for mental health. I'm very open about you know, my anxieties and the things that I work through. And then the third pillar of journaling classes is the power of pen to paper. It is such a powerful tool, and there is no wrong way to do it, and I want to give it to as many people as I can. And when I'm passionate about something like journaling, I want to spread that word to everyone I know. And so I get to bring my passion for all three things into one, and it's such a gift. So journaling classes is a space you can show up in whatever form you're in I like to say you show up and it's like I give you a forehead kiss and you're in your grandma's <laughs> kitchen um, I like to joke that it's like cheap therapy but it's really a space that is inclusive to all is is it's really important for me to create safe spaces and a place where you can say hello to your inner child and be playful and messy but actually like talk about some of that hard shit too um, and so it's just really fun to bring the things I love together into this space of workshops and, and events. I can definitely attest to your journaling classes feeling like forehead kiss. <laughs> I would recommend all of you guys to check it out. They're absolutely amazing. Mm. 
since you've been doing this for so long and I feel like a lot of people were talking about like I'm interested in starting a passion project but then I lose steam or I just don't have the motivation what do you think has kept you going through this like projects for so long to be able to sustain them for as many years as you have um seeing the people show up and get something out of it Mm. um I feel fortunate that I've positioned myself now and this has grown in scale to be something that is sustaining me um but I would be doing this even if I wasn't making money from it I just really care about bringing people together and I think you know vulnerability creates room for connection and um, connection is my jam. I think <laughs> I, I really believe everyone is seeking connection. And um, I'm happy to be that person to provide the space to do that. So that's what keeps me showing up. What, what, what one piece of advice would you give to someone that's like, I want to start a passion project or I'm like, I have all the things, but I haven't started yet. Like, how do I just take that first step? Just fucking rip it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You just got to rip it. Do it messy. Do it messy. Like, if you put your, leave your perfectionism at the door and put the other stuff that you have going to the side. Like, um, Mel Robbins has this thing of um, talking about, what is it? I'm blanking now of um, let them... Let them show them, show, shoot, anyone has it? (laughs) Like, well, the five second rule is great, but essentially it's like, you know, I'm a control freak and (laughs) what I'm working on is letting, is not trying to control other people. And when I don't try to control other people, I have so much more room to focus on myself. Mm. And when I focus on myself, it allows me to create really cool things. And if I, if I can try to control how other people are going to perceive me or feel about me, then I'm never going to do it. Um, so my motto for actually this year coming up is just fucking rip it. Um, but I also feel like I've just been ripping it the last five years. <laughs> so get messy with it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Um, Kayla, do you want to go next? Yes. Cool. Welcome to the stage. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I don't often get to hold mics with the foam on top of it. (laughs) I feel like I'm about to do like ASMR. (laughs) (laughs) What, um, (laughs) what, what, um, what comes to mind for you related to personal projects, finding your people? Yeah. Kayla. So my latest personal project is that I teach public speaking on TikTok. Um, you're going to have to help yeah. guide me yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so what, what's that been like? What, what's been the journey? You said you just started it. I know that you've done public speaking coaching in person. Um, what about TikTok? How's that going? Why are you doing it? What's the change you're trying to seek in the world? Um, so wait, what was the first part of that question? <laughs> How'd you get started? How I got started. So... I teach public speaking on Gamma's TikTok. They're a presentation software. They help build the most beautiful decks. If you have to present decks, but you hate decks, they're the tool for that. And I had done public speaking in high school, but I went to magnet school and they had all of us present very regularly. So in my pool of presenters, I was rather average. I go to college, I discover Toastmasters, I became a competitive public speaker, really loved it. 
And then by senior year, when I was leading the club, something in me kind of flipped away from wanting to win first place to wanting to enable ESL students to get comfortable public speaking. To get ESL students comfortable to even speaking English is a big step. But then to get them to give their first speech, like something in my heart mm. would just glow. And you would have people come out to these Toastmaster meetings, meeting after meeting after meeting, never get up there, never do what we call table topics, which is impromptu speaking. And they would graduate next semester. And finally, they're like, I'll give my icebreaker speech. And I was like, yes, Jonathan, today's the day. And that just really like that's hit a chord that had never been strong before. I graduated college. Every single one of my roles, my jobs have been around public speaking, but I was just in Seoul. I was there throughout the summer and I met the co-founder of Gamma. He had learned I was a speaker. He was like, I need content on TikTok. And that's how this whole thing came about. Um, um, hmm. I wanted to ask about writing though, but I, yeah, I, think, we'll, yeah. I think we'll stick. I think we'll stick with with TikTok and and public speaking. But you talked like you talked about how how meaningful it was to you when you saw Jonathan. Um, like, why? How was that meaningful to you? Like, and and why do you think that's meaningful to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So. I was born and raised in Jersey. Uh, my father immigrated from South Korea, and he is ESL, very thick Korean accent when he speaks English. And he was a salesman for Anheuser-Busch, which is the Budweiser parent company. So every day he got up and covered lower Manhattan and Queens selling beer. And if you're a sales rep, I don't know if anyone here in the room is, every Monday morning you have this thing called the stand-up meeting where you go around and you just tell your team how your week is looking, what your gut is to close, to commit, and what roadblocks you might have with any prospects. He always took this meeting on site. And I think I was in like the third or fourth grade where New Jersey was hit with a really bad winter storm and he couldn't make it out to his on-site for that stand-up meeting. So the first time I got to hear my father in a work meeting on the phone. So it was on speakerphone, I can hear a man in perfect English go around and say everyone's name. They're giving these numbers, giving these updates, telling them what accounts they're working on, what they're thinking they're gonna close. And it gets to my dad. And as a child, single father, my father was like the tier of everything. He mm. could get everything done. I watched him achieve a lot. There was no one that could ever butt up against him. But I saw him start to stutter when he would reply with his number, when he would mention what his accounts were doing and what roadblocks box he was hitting. And it was the first time I saw my father nervous. As a little girl, when you see this man who kind of creates this world for you, I was like, oh my gosh, like my dad isn't this be all man that I thought he was. He gets nervous, he's breaking down. And as he was trying to fill in his sentences, the man, the speakerphone just said, okay, skip sung, whoever is up next, go next. And he didn't get to finish his thought. And I don't think that's the first time it's ever happened. I can't imagine that so but what that did is it made me feel this sense of advocacy that mm. i remember wanting to rush over to the speakerphone and be like just wait he's going to speak give him some time but he never spoke and i imagine all the promotions you must forgo for not being able to communicate well and public speaking as i have coached it what you find is it's not tactical it's this mental barrier you often unlock in people who don't believe they can be good public speakers and once that's unlocked you watch them change in so many different ways it's the, it's the tide that like rises all boats truly truly is 
Uh, but that's why I think the the Toastmasters and seeing like ESL students become good speakers stayed with me because I saw that happen in my household. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks for letting me tell that story. Yeah, thanks, Kayla. Um, does anybody else have a follow-up question to anybody who's, who spoke? Does anyone, maybe got time, if maybe someone feels called to share? Well, you can ask a question about writing if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll ask about writing. Okay. So, and if any courage comes up, yeah. you can, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, you've been a um, very active writer on Quora um, and have shared pretty p- openly and vulnerably on, on Quora. Um, what about writing openly like that? Um, why do you think you did that? Or do that. Mm. Thank you for reading my Quora. <laughs> I want to mention that. Is everyone here? Is everyone here familiar with Quora? Okay. No. So Quora is like a elevated, insightful, soulful Yahoo Answers. <laughs> <laughs> People ask questions, and then anyone can reply to them. Uh, the question of why I wrote yeah. so vulnerably. Gosh, that's a really good question. So. I guess you have to kind of give context to the story I'm referring to. So back to my father, I had a very turbulent childhood. He was extremely abusive in many, many, many ways. And I carried that with me into my adulthood. And my writing style, I believe in like imitating and then innovating. You like mimic your favorite writers, then you become your own style. And the writers I read and I soaked up and I described my writing style to be a combination of Nicholas Cole and James Altucher. And if you read James Altucher's writing, who is this billionaire, lost all his money, made it all back, lost it again, divorced, married, divorced, his writing is so open. And he has this theory of when you hit publish, if there isn't a part of you that feels like that's too much, someone's written about it. It's out there already. You need to feel a little bit naked. And I felt with my story, I believe there are way more violent homes than are spoken about. And I think what I needed when I was a teenager is for a woman who had made it out of there and just mentioned, like, you make it out. Like, here's how bad it was. Here's how I've made it out. Here's all my links of how I'm doing today. So I just put that out there in, in that theory. And the, and the story that I think really went viral was what's the hardest truth you had to accept? And my hardest truth was like, I could never change my family. And that uh, gave a lot of comments. Some women felt very strongly about it. Some men, you know, I, the comment section really blew up. But what I think I liked was I, I tell on my resume, my Quora is linked. So I have like employers that read about it. <laughs> <laughs> and they say like, you know, you write some really dark things. And my response is life has very dark things. Um, is there any more about that you want to share writing and speaking go hand in hand writing speaking and thinking like the ultimate three circles I believe but I'm very excited to get to hear some more stories tonight so I would love to pass on the mic to some people in the room and for the people on the podcast if you're ever in New York these people in the room today they look so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) Um, thanks Kayla thank you 
I, I think we can. I think that'll um, that'll wrap up the podcast part. Um, as Kayla said, there's beautiful people here, so um, um, let's give it up for everybody who spoke. And JC. Ooh, David. <laughs> <laughs>Hey friend, thank you for listening to this Portfolio Career Podcast episode. I would love to hear what you learned or took away from this episode. I hope you find me, David Nabinsky, on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Also, if you want the best insights on the podcast and to hear my learnings, please subscribe to my Portfolio Career Substack newsletter that I send out every two weeks. You can find that on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com slash newsletter. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.